When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Premier League Review. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League Review Show. Now, we're stuck in that bizarre few days between Christmas and New Year. No one really knows what day it is or what time of day it is. But one thing we can be sure of is that there's an enormous amount of football for us to feast on. Now, we're probably all at the stage now where we've had to throw the last of the Christmas leftovers in the bin. But we're definitely not throwing Premier League football in the bin because we can't move for it. We wake up, it's on, we go to bed. Quite frankly, I'm absolutely loving it. Come January, when there's hardly any games and we're scratching around pretending to be interested in random FA Cup games I'm going to be crying for the heady days of, of late December so huge amount of things to get through in terms of the Premier League action my name's Fergal Brennan I'll be running you through the show tonight talking about former players who are not doing so well managing their old clubs and talking about former players who are doing pretty well managing their old clubs now to get through all that I obviously can't do this on my own and I am ably joined by a very are we, are we Christmas Christmassy or are we a bit more New Year team guys what do we feel yeah, feeling festive. Feeling festive. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Feeling okay. <laughs> that's the voice of Alex Hilton, comedian and Manchester City fan. Alex, how are we? Yeah, not bad, thanks, man. Nice to be here. Nice to see you. Are you well? Did you have a good Christmas? I did have a good Christmas. Not, not too bad at all. Jay, stalwart of the uh, of the Football Social Daily Premier League review show, preview show. He's always here. He's he's the first name on the team sheet. Jay from Full Time Devils, how are you? I'm well, man. I'm recovering from, from Christmas because I've got three kids and it's just been carnage. So <laughs> I'm glad to get out of the house and come here. It's a nice break and to, to provide a little bit of balance uh, Tyrone Marshall the Manchester United correspondent for the Manchester Evening News Tyrone how are we I'm good thank you how are you great stuff I'm, I'm very well I'm very well right now there's only one place to start because I'm hosting and I get to decide what we talk about and that's Arsenal's absolute disaster at home to Chelsea now I've been watching this game before we started recording and I'll be honest, I, I was dead smug for the first 75 minutes and then it was like watching a horror film and 
I don't know, walking in on something horrendous that you don't want to see in your parents' house, and then Frank Lampard, all, all kind of meshed into one. That, that was how I felt. Uh, and after the game, I just kind of sat there for about 10 minutes before you guys arrived, and we started prepping for the show and probably crying in a corner. But it's, it, like all sorts of therapy, it's good to talk about these things. So I'd like to talk about these. I'd like to open up about how frustrated I am that Mikel Arteta hasn't made us into Champions League winners just yet. <laughs> so Arsenal, let's, let's get started. Yes, they lost. Yes, they fell apart in the closing stages. Was it as bad as the result makes out, Jay? I wouldn't say it's as bad as the result makes out. I think it's bad when you, you, you're leading and you give away a, a lead at home, obviously, especially to rivals, rivals that you want to beat if you've got any aspirations of getting into the top four. And I think there are some signs that Arteta is having an effect, if I'm being honest. But I think I always think with Arteta and Arsenal, and I said this on this show before you mentioned earlier, I've been on it a lot, and it's a sort of recurring theme has been when, when Emery was in charge of just how toxic the club had become. I think it was yeah. a mess. You know, you had players just going against the manager, you had dissension, you had the whole Ozil episode, which is its own little circus going on. You had the captaincy thing going on, which was just a bit of a comedy. So Arteta's come in and he's got to somehow manage all this, manage some of these egos, because despite Arsenal not really doing very well, they've still got a lot of egos. Get his own style, his own brand of football implemented. And, you know, hate to bring it back to United, but not everyone can do what Oli did and come in and straight away turn it around because it was a lot easier for Oli in terms of what he had to work with in many ways and the, the games we had coming up when he took over. So you're not always going to hit the ground running. And I think it is going to take a long time for Arteta to fix what is wrong at Arsenal because there's so many things wrong with that team. And I think, you know, today highlighted some of that as well and I think you know you look at the way that, that Chelsea came back into it you could sense it coming for starters then there was a the thing with Jorginho and should he have been sent off and I don't think he should have to be honest with you and a few of the Arsenal play- players I don't know if they got tired of the heads went a little bit but I, fe- I felt as soon as Chelsea got the, the equaliser there was only one team that was going to go on and win it and despite Arsenal's problems at the Emirates you, you still think they're a bit of a force I do anyway I still think that's a, a difficult ground to go to um, so yeah it was it's the signs are there that Arteta is sort of making some improvements, but you know you need to do better than losing at home, obviously. Now, obviously, Arteta, given the fact he's a former player, given the fact that he's rel- well, he's completely inexperienced as a, as a first-team coach, there is going to be a, a grace period that will be given by Arsenal fans, not too dissimilar to, to Solskjaer. Three days knowing Arsenal fans. That's probably yeah, <laughs> four o'clock tomorrow afternoon. That's it. Yeah. I just I just want to know. North London must be making a roar in trade in sharpies for scribbling out managers' names and then just writing another one over. There's there's a shop in North London that you know he's put. It's like that thing from The Simpsons where he goes, "You're putting my kid through college." That that that's what the sharpie sales are doing in, in and around the Emirates. But, oh, I'm sorry, but yeah, I, I know we live in like a recession times and cutbacks <laughs> and Brexit button, but no one is. T- talk about the roaring trade. Arsenal fans are keeping the British aerospace industry just in those <laughs> yeah. those planes with the Wenger out things. Like, you wait until this time next year, Arteta out will be there. And that's even better for the industry because it's more letters, you need a longer yeah. sign. But there was there was a really clickbaity article I read a couple of weeks ago when they did the Emery out one. Do you know how much, well, a quick quick guess before I ask a real footballing question. How much do you think it costs to, fly, to rent a plane and fly a banner over the Emirates? Oh, I'm going to go... Three and a half grand. Oh, no, I, I, well, I'll go two grand. I was going to go two grand as well, so I'll go one and a half. Twelve and a half thousand pounds. <laughs> what? Yeah, twelve Me? and a half thousand pounds. I thought Alex has been yeah. sort of... Uh, well, I, I think maybe the price goes down if you've, got, yeah. if you've got a mate who's a pilot. I think the price might go down. Right, anyway, enough about <laughs> trains, planes and automobiles. I know it's Christmas, but uh, Arteta, he will get those few games. I'm looking at the fixtures coming up. Uh, United on New Year's Day, easy, do them over, no bother. Uh, Leeds in the cup, and then there is... 
there's a bit of a mixed bag for, for Arsenal after that Sheffield United will be difficult Crystal Palace Chelsea again wow uh, and Burnley now for me I think Arteta's probably got about another three or four games until the fans who as as Jay so beautifully put a moment ago are going to start getting on his back we, we know that we, we know that's almost an expectation with Arsenal where do you see the line being drawn for Arteta in terms of where it's suddenly going to be okay you've settled in now we need results I mean it's hard to say with Arsenal and the worry for them is they're 12th in the league six points off the relegation zone there's not that much grace that can be had I mean I'm not for a minute suggesting they're going to go down or get embroiled in a relegation battle but after 20, hopefully not anyway after 20 games they're 12th in the league and I mean he called them the, the biggest football club in England this weekend which is it's just laughable <laughs> anyway but it's just complete madness and I, I don't know what I don't know what he thinks he's walked into and what Arsenal fans are expecting my, my concern with him would be that I mean he's a, clearly a very talented coach he was incredibly highly rated at City they didn't want to lose him but Lampard got his team selection his tactics wrong today corrected it after half an hour after that they were dominant in that game. Chelsea were dominant. You look at the second half stats, I think they had 10 shots to Arsenal's one. Yeah. Arsenal weren't going to score a second goal in that game. And OK, they might have hung on for a 1-0 win, but for Leno's catastrophe. Yeah. But they were, they were second best. For the last hour of that game, they were comfortably second best. And there was no real sense that Arteta knew how to change that, really. And I think that's credit as well to Lampard as a coach as oh, well. I think yeah, and Lampard, you, you, you sort of see... With almost every few games, you can take a look at him and see where he's improving, and that that is good game management. And I think in terms of, um, you know, Lampard, I'm sure can coach players and he understands the training ground and the mentality of it. But actually, be able to read a game and say, this is what needs changing. This is how I'm going to adapt. The sign of a good manager is a team are always better second half. It's when you don't see that shift. Even when you're winning, you still be better second half yeah. with a good manager that would improve it. And I think but what is um, Arteta's demise? I think Lampard deserves credit for that. And like, with Arteta, I think you said at the start of the show, like he shouldn't be chastised for it. The, the, the reason they lost today are all the sort of stuff that is systematic at Arsenal. Those are the problems. No leaders on the pitch. Um, players who are probably looking more about... You know, where they're going on holidays, which club they're going to sign for, what the politics is yep. in yeah. despotic countries around the world they want to get involved in. You know, where will Ozil pit next? Rwanda. Will he go there, try and solve politics? Well, they've got there. that Visit Rwanda campaign. That, that could actually be, we're joking about this, you never know. It's on the cards. Pre season tour. You know, and I think yeah. it, it, it says a lot that when the club's in crisis, I'm not. Ozil's already booked the coaches. That <laughs> players are spending more time talking about politics in, you know, East Asia than they I mean, are in. There's no way Arteta can come under pressure this season. This has got to be a long-term approach from Arsenal. They can't appoint someone who's never... You have met Arsenal fans before. <laughs> well, yeah. This has got to be a long-term approach from Arsenal. Look, not the, the fans. The thing is, Arsenal, it's a five-year job. It's because, got to be. Because got to the, be. The, 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 and it's the same thing that's happened at United, that United are only really starting to recover from. Look at the massive names that had a crack at United and failed. Yeah. Um, because you still have that overhang from the Ferguson era. And, and, and you, I think at United, uh, David Moyes suffered from it especially, but I think even Mourinho and so on um, and Van Gaal had this thing where you've got this sort of big council, this sort of evil council of ex-players and you've got Skulls, you know, slagging you off on the telly every week and then you've got Bobby Charlton having his say and every time you concede a goal they show Sir Alex Ferguson sort of shaking his head looking a little bit sad up in the gods and you've got to deal with all that expectation. The same thing has happened with Arsenal. Despite the fact that Arsenal fans wanted Wenger out for so long, you will be compared to Wenger at his best you'll be compared to the Invincibles you know and you'll be compared to the days of Henri or the days of Tony Adams and, and those sort of great players you won't be compared to the Arsenal of three years ago uh, and I don't think Arsenal fans that of all ages have never really experienced a prolonged period of disappointment 
will have the patience to deal with that. And I, th- I think in the same way that Liverpool fans <coughs> did give Klopp that time when early on there weren't any trophies and it it hadn't actually outperformed Rodgers. To credit Liverpool fans, they were patient and Klopp has built probably the best side in world, well, the world champions. You know, and I, 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 I don't think Arsenal fans will give Arteta that, that three years. And I think if results don't improve by like February, I think you could see Arteta gets, I wouldn't put it past him at all. He's got a big chance though against United. I mean, if you get a result there, which isn't beyond the realm of possibility, you know, in this Manchester United side, the Arsenal fans will be all over him. That'll be like, you know, it'll be the second coming of Wenger if he gets a result against oh, United. Oh, United will batter Arsenal. So, pff, I hope you're right. But, you know, we thought that against Newcastle, West Ham, Bournemouth, Watford. Yeah. was so erratic. Um, and even the fact that Arsenal aren't very good yeah. actually yeah. worries me a little bit because they're the teams we've struggled against. It seems that have come out of us that United have, have done well. But just going back to um, what Mas was saying, you know, the one thing you can't fault Arteta for is you can't blame him for a goalkeeping mistake, which it was. You're right. You know, Leno should have done better. And so he's actually probably been Arsenal's, along with Aubameyang, best and most consistent yeah, player this so year. So there is that mitigating circumstance as well. But yeah, you know, like everyone's saying, Arsenal, it's just. And you mentioned there about Wenger. Take, these problems were there. Wenger was there. You know, this isn't this isn't just Wenger left them in a great state and then went upstairs, sort of moved on, and everything was great. F- fans were calling for his head for years. You know, the, the the two FA Cup wins or whatever it was, the three FA Cup wins, papered over the cracks, didn't they? Because that, that team had not been great for a little while. They won the FA Cup and then it was like, sort of stuttered along a little bit. But, you know, Emery inherited um, a, a club that was in a bit of a mess, sorted out slightly and then it's gone backwards since. So, yeah, I think Arteta will need time, but like everyone's saying, I don't well, know if he'll get it. But that's it, isn't it? I think, dare I say, the players that are performing for Arsenal, your players like Aubameyang, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about myself, and maybe Arsenal fans out there would disagree with me. But do you think Aubameyang cares massively about Arsenal? Well, he would have done what he did on social media if he did, I don't yeah. think. Because that proper upset the apple cat, didn't it, really? It didn't help anyone no. other than himself, and he didn't care. And he said that. I think he, I think he cares about playing the Premier League. And I think he cares about scoring goals and he wants to win matches. And I think I don't doubt that when he's on the pitch, he, he's given everything for you. But ultimately, when they're a goal down at half time, you look at the players that Arsenal had in the past. You know, you Patrick Vieira yeah. sort of type figures, Tony Adams, and, and these. You know, but even even like players that maybe we don't, we don't talk about as as leaders, perhaps like players like Jens Lehmann and so on. Those sort of players that might have been international imports, but they look at. They look at Arsenal dressing room and they see what it's about and they are one of the biggest clubs in Britain and they think, you know what, we're, we're too good to be a goal down. Or they think Aubameyang sits there and thinks, ah, that's one of those days. I'll be I'll be owning a couple of hours. And I think that's that's a cross. And then when you've got Granite Xhaka and Mesut Ozil and all these sort of players that almost seem to less than not care. Almost, almost, <laughs> isn't that, isn't that like the, aren't they the four captains you've just named as yeah. well? That, that's the th- that's the joke of it all. Like, and, and, the, and, you do, yeah, you do and they're the ones that, that you sort of think uh, don't really uh, care. And, and the, the sad reality of it is it's not a characteristic that you can buy. You need to find someone, yeah. have that personality, let them develop and feel the club for two or three years. And then go from there. Uh, mm. And, and there's, there's no one even of the young players. Do you think in three years Maitland-Niles is going to be your, your enforcer in the dressing room? No. <laughs> I, I, I like Ben and Niles, that's not a slight in him at all, but I don't see him as turning into that sort of figure. Uh, and, you know, maybe it would have been Jack Wilshire, maybe he would have been that character, but, but you know. Hold on a second, on, the, on this terrifyingly positive note for Arsenal, like, let's move on to the team that actually won the game, um, because, you know, as much as I'd like to dwell on how terrifying and, and frustrating and irritating Arsenal are, Chelsea, as as Ty said before, were excellent second half, and, and you got the sense that the tide was turning. As much as I said, I watched it and thought we're home and hosed there from an Arsenal point of view. There was this feeling that something's going to happen, a ball's going to drop, and and there's going to be a Chelsea goal. And 
kind of what Alex said before about these these little moments in games, decisions, using a little bit of experience, using a little bit of nous. We had a record, I looked up before, we had a record in Premier League games between Arsenal and Chelsea of nine yellow cards handed out, with Chelsea getting the majority. So what I saw in the second half is Chelsea players willing to take bookings, willing to make challenges in midfield that would lead to the ball breaking in their favour. Didn't always work, but they're the ones walking away with three points. Do you think... Lampard in his style is better at instilling that those those kind of I don't want to use the, the dark arts argument but game intelligence into players than potentially Arteta is well I think also there might be an element of that but I think Chelsea have still got those players that can do that they've still got experience in there people going about this sort of Lampard revolution all these kids you've got but for me N'Golo Kante when he's on form he's still one of the best midfielders in the world have Arsenal got someone like that no they haven't you know they've got experience in that Chelsea squad so yes you've got the youngsters but even the youngsters you know you talk about Sammy Abraham as a youngster he's been through the championship he's played in the Premier League for you know a at Swansea, he's been that sort of the main striker for a club that's struggling. So they've got a little bit more experience there. So yeah, is it dark arts? Is it things like that? Yeah, maybe it is. But when you can bring someone, I don't keep going about it. I think Jorginho came on, didn't he? He's yeah. Like, when you can bring someone like that off the bench as well, who would walk into Arsenal's team, if I'm being honest, that helps you massively. Yeah. Because Arsenal don't have those options. You know, Alex has just named a, load, a, a group of players there who are the captain and vice captain or were the captain and vice captains. How many of them would you have at your club? As a, as a Chelsea fan, as a United fan, as a City fan, I well, like, it, here's the thing. Also, maybe a Bamiyang. You've got to manage yeah. expectations, and it, it comes out the transfer policy. If for whatever reason Arsenal ceased to exist tomorrow, if the club just folded tomorrow, and those players all became free agents, even for free, all you've got to do is pick up their wages. How many of them would end up at top four clubs, it, and in the UK, but also in Europe? You know, Meza Özil. Do you think? Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico. No, not at all. Because uh, uh, Munich, I think, Dortmund, Leverkusen, Paris. I think the argument with with Özil that constantly gets recycled is, oh yeah, but when he's on form, or but you know, fully fit Özil. Or I, I'm not interested. That argument for me has become stale three seasons ago because I've seen Özil at his supposed best when he's been creating chances for strikers, and, and everyone loves to wheel out the stat that he, he created more goal scoring chances in the the three seasons up until last season than anyone else. Blah 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 blah. It doesn't matter because I think this is one of those crucial things that you only see when you're at the ground. And I think particularly Arsenal fans that go away with the team will will notice this. He's terrible away from home. He's, he's, he's absolutely awful. The only player I could perhaps compare him to is, is Rubinho when he was at Man City and famously either wouldn't play away from home or, or was really, really poor. And I think you are right. Even when you look at someone like Aubameyang, yes, there's a, a certain guarantee of goals, but given the demonstration of his mentality in the last few months at Arsenal, that's not a, an influence that many clubs are going to want in their dressing room. No, and he's, he's, he's 30 as well, Aubameyang. He's not young as he's 29, 30, so... I'd say on, on the point of, of Chelsea being a bit more streetwise, I mean, it's, it's less than a month since they lost at home and didn't concede a single foul in a game. Was it the West Ham game they lost and didn't concede a foul? Or the Bournemouth one? I mean, their record home compared to away is, is just bizarre, really. I mean, they've had some really poor results at Stamford Bridge and over the last week of one away at Arsenal and one away at Tottenham. So, you know, they're, they're definitely still in a learning curve. Lampard as a coach is on a learning curve. You'd think they'd get top four by virtue of being the most consistent of the inconsistent teams going for that that spot but it feels like they're still still learning a lot and, and their home defeats are kind of showing that 
One thing that I wanted to ask you just before we move on, the, the last point on the Arsenal-Chelsea game, Tammy Abraham back amongst the goals. It's his first goal in five Premier League games. Obviously, start of the season, everyone was really taken with him, mm. how Lampard obviously was dealing with the transfer ban initially and then you know put his faith in Abraham as his starting striker. He's consistently backed him. I wouldn't say he's been in, in a bad run of form, but based on the way the season started, it's been a little bit a little bit patchy. Gets that winner today. We saw the celebration, celebrating with the Chelsea fans in the away end. Where, in terms of how yeah. crucial he is to the team, where do you think his form can drive Chelsea between now and the end of the season? I mean, I think his form and his goals will be enough to get them top four. It, it, I mean, it's, it's basically Abraham's first full season of, of Premier League football. So I think he's having, no, I think he's second. He's joined with Rashford now, same number of goals yeah. as Rashford. You know, I think he's having a really good season and he needs the rest of this season to sort of see if he is Chelsea's long-term answer as a number nine but I think he looks a really promising player I think he back up to Harry Kane for England it, it is an ideal role for him at the moment and you know I think for considering his experience levels and the fact that he's he's having a first full Premier League season at a club like Chelsea you know I think he's doing really well I think there's more to come from I mean, him I mean I, I mean I, we talk about his back up to Harry Kane he is, has scored and got more assists than Harry Kane this season I do think um, Harry Kane has absolute pride of place as England's number nine, I think you know on his, on his day in in big matches, I would certainly bat Harry Kane. But at the minute, by the way, six of the top ten Premier League goal scorers are English, which I don't remember the last time there was so much sacking talent. I think there's like a handful of players. Uh, Jamie Vardy is currently retired from international football, but is the, is the team the country's top goal scorer. And you've got Rashford, Abraham, uh, Danny Ings. Danny Ings is in great form. No yeah, one's having that conversation. He's got yeah, 12 yeah. goals, uh, which is as many as Abraham, uh, who is rightfully getting credit for it. Um, but, you know, in years gone by, being... Uh, fifth top goal scorer in the Premier League would give you like put you in the England discussion you'd be in the and squad, I th- wouldn't you? say yeah. again sorry yeah you'd be in the squad yeah you'd be the fourth striker yeah. and I think it goes to show how far the international team has it's come not that long ago we had Jay Bothroyd playing for England so yeah so on, let's, let's not I mean? let's not get too over <laughs> yeah, it you know what I mean it's what I mean it's, it's, <laughs> these are great times we're living in this is amazing yeah. from the is, all these players have on paper outperformed Harry Kane Jay obviously mentioned this golden age that we're in of England strikers. Let's talk about the golden age of Manchester United that's lasted, uh, I think, six and a half days. This yes, this, this is... new dawn. Well, yes. hold on, hold on. Let's let's hear me out. Back to back wins in the Premier League for only the second time this season with a two 0 win at Burnley last night. People are going to criticise Burnley for this, that, and the other, but an important three points away from home. You're within a point of the top four. Where does Solskjaer go to get this consistency? To to be able to say to the players, look, you can do it against really good side. We saw the performance in the derby and then beating Tottenham. This performance against Burnley, would you argue that this is actually more valuable because these are the games so far this season that Solskjaer and the players have struggled in? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know if it's more valuable because you could argue that it's more valuable to beat the likes of Chelsea and Leicester or whatever. But we definitely do have a problem at United with the so-called lower teams. You look at our record and it's pretty abysmal you know I mentioned it earlier you know we've lost to Watford we've lost to West Ham we've lost to Newcastle we've lost to Bournemouth we've lost to Crystal Palace we've you know we've drawn with Wolves Southampton I don't want to keep going on but yeah we've dropped a lot of points against teams that have been in the bottom half of the table and it has become a sticking point but I think what impressed me about the performance against Burnley was yet again we had the Paul Pogba issue rearing its head before the game and it doesn't matter whether you're Pogba FC or not it's something that keeps coming up and it's disgusting. And it, you know, does he want to play? Is he fit? Is he his attitude and all the rest of it? But we didn't have him. We haven't. We've yet to have our strongest eleven since yeah. Wolves away, the second game of the season. I've yet. I've not seen Martial, Rashford, and Pogba play together since then, which is a crying shame because we need him. 
So I think Oli's done well there to get that clean sheet because that was another sort of um, albatross around his neck. The fact we hadn't had a clean sheet, I think, since Leicester at yep. home. In, was that October or whatever it was? So there was a lot of sort Don't of forget box. the heady uh, 3-0 win over Colchester in the Cup. Well, yes, there was that, of course, as well. <laughs> <laughs> a vital win. You have a short memory. <laughs> yeah, see, so fickle, aren't we? As you know, fans, <laughs> uh, forget the, uh, the important mouth-watering clash that was the Colchester game. I was at that as well, and I forgot about it. Um, but yeah, it, it was a solid performance. It was a win away at a, a team, especially our way record isn't great at teams that have struggled. So it was important to get that, and it's something we can build on. The problem I've got as a, as a United fan now at the minute is, you know, if we go to the Emirates and lose, there will be a section of the United fans who are calling for Oli out. I know football fans can turn on managers and that, but I just think, for me, he's just got to be given to the end of the season. I know Pochettino's waiting in the wings, but just give him to the end of the season and then we decide, is is Oli going to sort the right man for Manchester United or not? But I think one good thing about last night that I liked as well was Brandon Williams. I thought yeah, he was excellent. Really I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think we've had so many problems at left back. Yes, Luke Shaw was our double player of the year last season, but he wasn't great. He was the best of a bad bunch, and I don't even think he deserved it, to be fair. We've had Asa Young there. Um, Axel Tumanzabi's played there. But Brandon Williams, I know he's right-footed, but he can play in the left left back position. He did a very good job against Burnley. He's played well all season when he's, he's come in. Um, so I'd like to see him starting every game. And I think Ollie deserves credit for that. He's giving these young players a chance. The likes of Greenwood, the likes of Williams... You know, they're getting games under Oli where perhaps, well, no perhaps about it, they wouldn't have, it wouldn't have happened under Jose. So, yeah, he's, he's doing a lot of good things. He just needs to get that consistency. I think, I think, I think yeah, you bang on there. Like, even as a City fan, like, it, it's nice to see United going back to producing so many young players, giving them a chance. And it was so easy for Oli to be his first, like, his first big job. And, you know, and, and, those vultures are circling. They always will do it at a job like Manchester United where a couple of dodgy results. It will be so easy for him to just go like, I'm just going to I'm take no risks, go with the old guards, just get grind results out. And for him to roll the dice on on kids. Mm. And you go, you know what? Yeah, Greenwoods and, and even even Rashford, man. It's a lot of pressure to put on a young lad to lead the line for United. But go, yeah, he's going to my strike. I'm going to back him to a form in the Premier League. And overall, he is getting away with it. Yeah, well, yeah. They got a lot of criticism in the summer, and Solskjaer did for for selling Lukaku, allowing Sanchez to go, and not signing a replacement. But you know, Solskjaer would have wanted a replacement. But the vindication he gave at the time, or the reason he gave at the time, was that he had a system that would suit Rashford and Martial better. They would score goals, James would create goals, and it would also open up a pathway for Greenwood. And you know, he got a lot of stick for that decision. But everything he said there has been proved true. Rashford had his best season. Martial's going to have his best season. Has created a pathway for Greenwood, who's got more opportunities than he would have got had Lukaku been here. And I think generally, you have to say Solskjaer's doing a good job this season. Considering he's been without Pogba for virtually the entirety of the season. They were without Martial for two months. You know, they're still fifth in the league. They're worse off than at this stage of the last season. And they might be in the top four race because of other teams' inconsistencies. But at the end of the day, they are in the top four race. And I think this has felt like a big week for them. We knew coming into this week that that record of one win in 12 and they've had more possession... They play in a week where they're playing the 19th and 20th teams for, for average possession. It, it felt, after that Watford game, yeah. it felt like a week where everything could go wrong and instead everything's gone right. And the issue for United this year has been the consistency. They've not won three league games in a row in a year. They really need to put that right. But if they can find more consistency, and I think the signs it's coming, then you know I think at the moment he's on the right path and I think he's, he's doing a, a pretty reasonable job at the moment. Did, would fifth be a disaster for United no, is that no, failure no, I mean no, I, I would say that so. probably on paper they've probably got the fifth best squad in the country I don't think country. fifth would be a disaster and I think one thing you can say about Oli regardless whether you're Oli in or Oli out for want of a better expression is the players are playing for him 
Yeah. You know, Alex mentioned there how he's getting a tune out of Rashford. He's, he's showing belief in Martial. You just mentioned Martial. Martial's my number nine. I'm sticking with him. There's no shifting him out to the wing. There's no moving him about or dropping him. You know, we saw what the effect that Sanchez had on, on, on Martial when he was dropped for him. He just almost wrecked his time at United. So Oli is getting these players, and you know, other than maybe Paul Pogba, which that's a debate that can go on for, for years. Every single player that's turned up for Manchester United is playing for Oli. You know, and you can see that. You can see that in the performances. I've, I've, Even when we've not been playing well, you can see the players are playing for him. Hold on, I just want to have a, a quick one. If any United fans are listening and thinking that we're recording inside a volcano, that's that's just Jay banged on the table. Sorry, I if keep you, doing that. If you hear bangs on a Sorry. table when we're talking about Man United, particularly a certain player, you can almost be convinced they're going to win the Ballon d'Or. The amount of times Jay bangs, that means the amount of votes they're going to get on the Ballon d'Or. Um, obviously, I have been warned that. Sorry, you keep warning me. I'll sit on my hands for now. Obviously, um, Rashford got a lot of attention because of his goal-scoring run and his performance against Burnley last night. I just wanted to ask Alex Dead quickly. Another player that came to attention last night is Fred. Now, he's he's stopped being the person that no one talks about. Most Man United fans now are, are happy with the way that he's been playing. But Solskjaer made an interesting comment in his post-match press conference where he said, if you told me that two or three months ago Fred would be the best player on the pitch here at Turf Moor in this game... I wouldn't have believed you. Now, obviously, it's an interesting tactic from uh, from Solskjaer to, to say that about one of his own players. But do you think there's some some credence in that? Um, I mean, he's he's well, he's definitely somebody who's improved under under Solskjaer, and he's getting lots more football. And I think uh, United fan would would know a lot more than I do about it. But I think he was definitely one of the players that was getting stick under Mourinho's system. But yeah. well, I mean, it's, it's probably a little bit harsh. I think um, like in a physical game away from home. I don't think it's out of the ordinary that a central midfielder is the player that stands out in that sort of fixture. Um, but then I guess that's you, that's Solskjaer's way of communicating and saying, like, you know what, he's my most improved man and I, I, I value you. OK, moving on from who's the best player on the pitch, which was Fred, to uh, 11 players that were wearing a different coloured jersey that definitely weren't the best players on the pitch at Turf Moor. And, that, and that's that's Sean Dyche's Burnley side. Now, Pete Hall, who anyone who listens to the podcast regularly will know he's he's a regular feature on our, our preview shows, tweeted something really interesting during the first half, which was Burnley have had one shot on target in three and a half hours of football. Now, that was changed with a heady heights of uh, an effort on target from Phil Barsley, who Jay's going to eulogise in about uh, 30 seconds time when I come back from Ty. But... This is, let's be honest about this, this is dreadful from Burnley. You know, we're used to a certain way of Burnley playing and them generally being all right. But would it be fair in saying this is slightly worrying times? I think so, yeah. And it's funny how things have, have changed with, with Burnley. I mean, before I started the MEN, I used to cover Burnley. And so I watched them quite regularly. And in their first first couple of seasons in the Premier League, they were kind of the top six's nemesis. And top six teams used to hate going to turf more. They always made it a real tight fair they condensed the pitch and it was just one of those games that top six teams did not look forward to at all yet now they're a soft touch their recent record against the top the top four and the top six is absolutely dreadful I think it was Duncan Alexander who pulled out they've had five points at home against the top six in ten games Yeah, I just think it's a myth that constantly gets circulated and it doesn't help Burnley's cause when United go to Turf Moor or Chelsea or City or Liverpool or anyone because there's an expectation from from the wider footballing community that go oh this team's going to drop points there. You know Burnley, you know Burnley. When in really, that's not really the case anymore. No. It hasn't been for some time. No, I th- and I think fans are cottoning onto it now that it's not the case and it, it's not such a difficult place to go. I think the top six teams have worked Burnley out now and know how to get results there. And the, the thing with Burnley is they will always pick up enough points in other games to stay up, but they are not great to watch. And when they're when they're <clears> bad, they're they're horrendously bad. And you know, no one wants to watch that. But 
they will what they do under Dyche, they will get enough points to stay up. Uh, they are behind Arsenal on goal difference only. It's worth saying. Pray, uh, pray for them, I would I say. Think in that case, you, pray for Arsenal. As well. Any Burnley fan in August, you'll be level on points with Arsenal come Christmas. They go, I'll take that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, obviously, we've touched on Solskjaer's comments on Fred being the best player on the pitch. Most of us would have looked at it and gone for, for Martial or, or Rashford in terms of their goal scoring. But Jay, ever the hipster, ever the kind of deep thinker of football, has highlighted someone that used to play for Man United that was playing against them last night as someone that really stood out for him. Now, we could almost have this as Jay's Phil Bardsley hour, but we're we're just going to slot yes, it in quickly. Maybe, yeah, make we're just it a regular gonna, thing. We're going to slot it in just quickly before the break. Jay, your thoughts on Phil Bardsley? I, I commented last night. I was watching the game. That for me was Phil. I mean, I don't watch him very often. Total football. It was so. It was <laughs> Phil Bardsley's best ever game. I thought. I thought he was everywhere. He cleared it off the line. He did a sort of elastic tackle in the box that was perfectly timed. He had Burnley's only shot in three hours of football. He was everywhere. He was immense, which uh, surprised me, if anything, because last time I saw Phil Bardsley, he was busy um, getting Marcus Rashford to headbutt him. So it was a uh, it was a bit of a difference. <laughs> Obviously, saw Trent Alexander-Arnold's performance against Leicester. And yeah, the, I'll have a bit. I can do that. Anything Trent can do, I can Hold do my that. Beer. Yeah. So uh, I was impressed with Phil Bardsley. I thought I thought he played very well last night, but Burnley on the whole didn't play anywhere near Phil Barsley levels. <laughs> they were much worse. <laughs> right, OK, we're going to call the Phil Barsley love-in uh, there for the first half. Phil Barsley, secret love of, of Jay Motti, tweet ruiner for Pete Hall and uh, all-round good guy for, for Burnley fans. We're going to call it half-time there for the Football Social Daily Premier League review show. After the break, we're going to be talking about Jose Mourinho not quite doing a Jose Mourinho away at Norwich and Liverpool winning at home to Wolves as well as wrapping up all the other Premier League games over the weekend and we're going to be asking the guys for their New Year's resolutions for their clubs. Join us after the break. Football Social Daily Premier League Preview Sports Social Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Review Show. We're the only daily podcast giving you all the latest on all 20 Premier League sides, transfer news, injury updates, all sorts of goings on at every single team in the English top flight. You can listen to us on Acast, you can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there giving you absolutely everything you need to know on Premier League football. Now, before the break, we talked about Manchester United winning away at Burnley and Arsenal losing at home to Chelsea. We're going to move on now to another big game from the weekend and that's Norwich City drawing two all at home to Tottenham. Now, we touched on this game in the preview show a couple of days ago and there was a lot of concern and, and worried looks for Norwich in terms of where their season's going. Yesterday was a little bit of a, a positive for them. They're still without a win in 15 Premier League games but a point at home against the team that you'd be looking at chasing Champions League football. That's that's something for Norwich to cling on to, or, or am I just being a bit too optimistic? Um, no, it's something to cling on to, and they did play quite well, and you know, they, they are a good team to watch, and you feel like you've got they've got goals in them, but they're also going to to concede a lot, and on the balance of play, perhaps a, a point was a fair result, but with Watford starting to pick up, they they need to turn points into wins, or they're in danger of of being cut adrift. I think Watford's upturning form is is going to hurt Norwich, and obviously the bottom already. It, it, it's difficult to find. It's difficult to see them staying up at the moment. As good a football as they play, that means they can see goals, and they're going to concede too many to stay up. Jay, just a straight question for you. And we kind of touched on this, as I say, the other night with Adam and some of the other team. Are they a bit too nice? We talk about the football they play, and there's lots of positives floating around about Todd Cantwell and Pookie. Everyone was talking about Pookie party at the start of the season. 
is it a bit of an insult when we talk about Norwich that we say, oh, I like them? Norwich fans don't want us to like them. They want to stay in the Premier League. Do you think that that could potentially be what unravels them long term in, in the rest of the season? Yeah, I think there's a little case of that, a little bit of that, definitely, because I think Alex, you know, before we came on over, we were chatting about it. It's like, oh, yeah, Norwich, everyone, like you just said, has a little bit of a soft spot for them. Quite likeable, but you like them because you usually beat them when you play them. Um, and they're, they're sort of inoffensive and they, they play nice attracting fo- attractive football sorry, but they don't cause you any real problems I look at it a few years ago when Huddersfield stayed up and Huddersfield, I didn't like them they weren't a team that you, you liked they were yeah. quite rough, they, they, they sort of knew the dark arts but they Very got basic results football. Yeah, they weren't great to watch but they got results for that for the, the, the season they stayed up you look at Norwich and the opposite, they play great football like, you know, quite nice to watch football they, 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 sort of, they play it the right way they've got some players that are good on the ball but on the whole, they're a bit sort of lightweight, if yeah. you want of a better word, and it, it shows in the results they're getting, and it show it showed against Spurs, where I think what they were the eight minutes away from from a win, and they needed a win, like yeah. like Tyrone was saying, you know, it's all very well playing nice football and, and and scoring goals or getting you know draws now and again. You need some wins, and that record you mentioned is it fifteen without a win is 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 shocking. We've seen them, I think they flattered to deceive a little bit when they got that result against City. Everyone's like, oh, Norwich, eight injuries and they've got a result against Manchester City. This is amazing. And, it, you know, they've not built on that at all. And they're too reliant on Pukki, I think, as well, who's not, for me, going to get you more than sort of 14, 15 goals in a season. So, yeah, I think I've said this so many times on, on this show, but I do struggle to see how Norwich get themselves out of it. I'm being honest. I don't think they're going to change the manager or anything like that. And I don't think that would help them. I think this is a long-term strategy they've got. And I think someone else might have mentioned it on the show, another show we were on where they actually got promoted before they expected to. Yeah. So that's why they've not invested heavily in the squad. Now this is a long-term project and that project may involve going down and coming back up the way that Burnley did a few years ago and then building on that. So it's going to be very difficult for, for Norwich, I think, to get out of it. And I think, going back to your original question, yeah, perhaps they are just a bit too nice. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's good fun, like I said. It's good fun to watch them. And I hope Daniel Fark doesn't get the sack or whatever, or people don't turn on him. Because, they, yeah, they, they, they look like a championship team. Yeah. And, and it, it does feel like, everyone talks about they play nice football. It feels like that fourth round FA Cup tie that comes up that no one watches where the good championship team play the bottom half Premier League team and they're in it and they stand the chance but ultimately the Premier League team have got that little bit more and you know and it does feel like there'll be a draw here and there'll be a draw there and there will be the plucky results against the top six as a Manchester City fan I saw it earlier this season but it, it's just I haven't got enough have they man no. well I think as Jay touched on before the, the key point was the penalty at the end that Harry Kane stuck away and when you look at the situation that Tottenham are in it's, it's still so difficult and I, and I honestly think that Jose Mourinho the way that he is this is what he wants this is what he likes it's still really difficult to gauge where Tottenham are you look at their results and, and they're not they're not by any stretch bad since since Mourinho has come in they've only lost two league games against Chelsea and Tottenham who are, who are sorry Chelsea and Man United who are there or thereabouts them in the table but there still is this sense of you don't really know how they're going to play what they're all about what Mourinho wants to do what his plans are and if you're a Tottenham fan looking at the result yesterday Today, they were bad and they needed a free kick and a penalty to get a point against the team that are the worst in the Premier League at, at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 all a bit strange with Jose being at Tottenham because no one really saw it coming. It's happened and, and in many ways you think, oh, it could work because he's quite he's obviously quite good defensively and he's got goal scorers in the team in Son, in Kane. He's getting a tune out of Ali. So that, that should work. But it's just a great unknown, really, isn't it? Because you, you just don't know how it's going to go. And when he, I think he lost at United and he lost at Chelsea, people were beginning to think, 
are the wheels coming off already? Is this already? Are we seeing sort of third season Jose three three games into his tenure? <laughs> um, but it the cycles are just getting yeah, shorter. It's just getting shorter, <laughs> shorter. So you know, it's gone from sort of years to, to, to weeks. Um, but there is enough quality in that squad, and if you look at Jose's overall track record, you would think he'll be able to get some good results out of them, get a tune out of them. And as everyone's been sort of saying this season, other than the top, we well, could argue other than Liverpool. The, the other places are up for grabs and the, there are sort of frailties there in the other top four sides. So someone like Tottenham or someone like, sorry, Jose, with a team like Tottenham, by right, should be able to get into the Premier League. And I think the one thing for Jose that is almost like he's get-out-of-jail-free card is if he wins a trophy at Spurs, if he was, say, win the FA Cup, he'd be a hero because they never win trophies, do they? Yeah. So if he did that, which is doable, he can, you can always back Jose in a tournament. He did it at United with a, a United team that was underperforming in the league. We still managed to win trophies under him. So if he could get a trophy of any sort with Spurs, which most likely is going to be the, the, the FA Cup, being honest, then that would be a successful season for him. He'll be happy with it as well because rumours have it that he's quite fond of bragging about his CV to people. So if he's got that on his CV, he's the first manager to win a trophy at Tottenham in his first season, he'll be happy with that. The Spurs fans will be happy and then they can sort of build for next season and maybe look to get back He's got a lot on Jose as well. I mean, he rotated massively. I mean, you saw like Foyth come in and yeah. Celso's not been playing and Ryan Sessegnon got a start. I think there's, there's a few egos in that dressing room and players and there's a lot of contracts. I don't know if players are coming or going. He's got a dog's funeral to plan. No. He's got a lot on his plate and I think you could afford in those early days there are going to be a dodgy performance where he gets it's a little bit wrong and you know well there's, there was two there was two takeaways from me at full time in, in terms of individual players because ultimately that's where Mourinho's going to be judged he's massively criticised and rightly so at United for his handling of individual players and his handling of team dynamics and, and, and man management Tangai Ndombele was an interesting one the Boxing Day game against Brighton the story came out where Mourinho said that he declined to be available for selection or, or, or words to that effect he then brings him in for the Norwich game and he, he was excellent yeah. maybe not Phil Bardsley standards but he was you know he was he decent was, you know, exactly. we, we're just exactly. living in we're just living in a Phil Bardsley world really uh, is this just classic Mourinho these kind of weird games that he plays we all know Ndombele is an excellent player that's why Tottenham played so much money for to bring him in from Leon in the summer but Mourinho likes these games with players where he kind of makes them look bad and then he brings them in as I say brought him in for the Norwich game and he described his performance as incredible mm. this is all very strange but it's all very very Mourinho that's, that's his man management style he, he, he criticises players I think his man management style hasn't changed for me since he was at, at Chelsea all those you know what a decade or more ago now and his man management style is to be brutal with players and then to wrap an arm <clears> around them and and build them up. I'm not sure it works anymore. I'm not sure modern players respond to that, but that is how he is, and that is what he's going to do. And, and Dombele looked like he had responded to it yesterday. But that's just Mourinho. That's what he does with players. He will call out players and criticise players in public. That's his approach, and and he will hope it will it will you know, win the players round and get players playing for him. But I think talking of talking of classic Mourinho, the surprise for me is his defensive record at, at Tottenham. You expect Mourinho to come in and. Be watertight. They've kept one clean sheet in 10, conceded 17 goals in 10, conceded two at Norwich, conceded at home to, to Brighton. You know, they're conceding a lot of goals, which I think is unusual for, for a Mourinho team. But I think, in fair to Jose, I don't think that squad is built for Mourinho's style of play. There's far too many playmakers and attacking footballers there that are almost undroppable because of the quality they bring um, you're not going to get Hyungmin Sun tracking back for you um, Lamella won't do that for you either uh, Giovanni Lascelles doesn't like that sort of player Ericsson you can't switch Ericsson into a holding midfielder in the way with maybe some of the players at United you could do I think this is the least Jose squad that he's ever inherited I'm sure give him two transfer windows it will look very going back, different going back to what you said though about 
United are probably the fifth best team in the league in terms of squad. I think Spurs, you would argue, probably the third best team. Oh yeah, in terms yeah, of they, squad. They, they, yeah. If you look at, I mean, in terms of depth, yeah, and that, I mean, at Old Trafford, they were bringing on players. Like I think on Don Belly came on and Ericsson, yeah. who would walk into our team, and he's got them on the bench. You know, they have got a very good eleven and some good um, players on the bench as well, like Sarah Dyer and Danny Rose and people like that who don't always get a game, but are very talented players. So. You know, in terms of the quality there, it's there. It's just like you say, it's not probably a, a Jose type team, but but then, that, then but a manager of his experience in quality should yeah. be able to oh, adapt yeah, to that. 100%. And, and and I think going back to what you said before, I was going to jump in on about his management style. I think it's really weird seeing a manager that is as progressive as Jose actually is quite old school. I think there's a growing trend and Gareth Southgate is probably the first one, the most visible one of managers of of players that that came about in those shouty dressing rooms of the 90s where managers just dished out bollockings mm. left, right and centre and that was how you motivate players. You know, players like Southgate that experienced that and experienced being the letdown at a big tournament, his management style is so much more gentle and puts an arm around players and really seems to understand the way that he managed Sterling at a major tournament yeah. and the, the, seemed to see that Sterling was getting similar kind of flack that Southgate got after Euro 2016. I think Lampard is doing the same thing at Chelsea for the young players there. You look at Gerrard's big expectation on Rangers players that may be can't live up to it and yet they all they would die for Gerard at Rangers at the minute I think the way um, you, you're looking at that seems to be Arteta's just gone to Arsenal it'll be interesting how that goes because Arteta played under a failing Arsenal team under Wenger will go in having been sat where those players are sat in a fractured dressing room it'll be interesting to see if they react to Arteta in, in that way and I think that's the way football's going and Mourinho as progressive as he is in tactics, I think he's actually quite regressive in terms of... I'll just say one last quick question I wanted to ask before we move on to our last featured game, which is was Liverpool against Wolves. Ty, Christian Eriksen, first Premier League start under Mourinho yesterday. Yeah. Ultimately, this is going to be the big story for Mourinho in, in the January transfer market. He scored excellent free kick. Uh, and, you know, we don't need to discuss the merits of Christian Eriksen. We know what an excellent footballer is. He is, sorry. Do you think ultimately... Ericsson and Mourinho's, ha- Mourinho's handling of Ericsson will decide his tenure at Tottenham? No, I'm not sure he will because I think Ericsson wants out and I don't think that the change in manager is, will have changed that. I think, if anything, the change in manager has probably made it more likely he goes. So I don't think so. I mean, they they need to use him, I think, for the rest of the season. He, he's clearly a very good player and he's perhaps Tottenham's most creative player and, and he looks a, a step above Lo at the moment. So I think they need to use him, but I'm not sure it will define Mourinho's tenure I think who they bring in to replace him and how he kind of rebuilds that squad will define it because it's clearly a squad that is that is fractured there are people that want out like Ericsson the, the defence look to be staying I mean Alderweireld's staying and you know Mourinho's a, a big Alderweireld fan he was desperate to get in for United so that's no great surprise Tonga might stay as well but I think Ericsson wants out and I, I think he'll look to go on a free in the summer Okay, but as I said, we're going to quickly touch on on league leaders, league leaders Liverpool. Um, I'm sure Alex won't thank me for reminding her of this, but just just for the sake of clarity, I want to make this absolutely clear: Liverpool one 0 winners against Wolves as we've been recording the show. They're now 16 points clear of Manchester City and 13 points clear of Leicester City in second place. Another box ticked really for for Jurgen Klopp's side. Uh, we expected a few more rotations. It was only really Adam Lallana that came in that wouldn't normally be in the starting eleven. The question that I wanted to ask is: you know, we're not going to get into title race or is it over or is it not over because I think that's been that's been done to death 
if by the end of February Liverpool still have this lead or the let's say they still have a double figures lead, do you think they've got the squad to start to prioritise FA Cup Champions League and not quite leave the Premier League on the back burner because we know how desperate they are and the fans are to, to win the league. But given the squad they've got, given the options they've got, are they in a position to do that? I think so, yeah. I mean, they did it They did it last season, didn't they? They came within a point of winning the title, got 97 points and, and won the Champions League. So if they come to February and they're 15 points clear, if anything, they're in a better position then than they were last season when in February they were in a title race and and still managed to win the Champions League. So I think they probably have. I mean, the FA Cup's the, the unknown. You'd imagine them make a lot of changes against Everton next weekend. Everton picking up Ancelotti, it, it perhaps wouldn't be the biggest surprise if there was a shock there. But in terms of the Champions League, to be honest, I, I'm finding it hard to look beyond them, going very deep into it. I think they look. I think them and City, if City are on their day, I think it's hard to see one of those two not winning the Champions League because I think the rest, the other European teams, just look like they're, they're on... They're in rebuilding statuses and they don't look, you know, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, they don't look scary well, at the moment. We've seen it with Paris and Bayern Munich in the last few years, both both do it where in February, March, April, they've rested 11 players at the weekend and completely changed their squad when they're a million points in front in their respective leagues. And I think Liverpool would be foolish to not do that. I, 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 but it's um, not gone well for I, those I, two I think, sides, has I, it? I think this, like, the argument now is not will Liverpool win the league, will they be the best Premier League team ever? Mm. I, I think Manchester City Centurions are the best Premier League team ever. Um, I'm sure Jay might say that United's treble winners in 99 are the best Premier League team ever. But I think Liverpool, like on current form, uh, blow both those teams out of the water. They, they are they are winning teams. Um, I know they've had a couple of VARs go their way and a couple of crafty penalties and stuff, but overall, they're playing awesome. Um, Sadio Mane looks unstoppable. I couldn't see a squad in the world that he wouldn't get into. Uh, you look at the players that they're leaving out at the minute, uh, the players that came off the bench uh, Milner, Keita um, and Origi. Origi I mean even Origi I think when he's played he's, he's looked a, a, an awesome player off the and bench as you say and... would get into to sides around them or, or teams that they're competing with um, to be honest I think in reality we could almost copy and paste what we say about Liverpool most weeks in, into each show Wolves bit of a bad day at the office uh, obviously there's VAR controversy with Pedro Neto's goal just before half time we've all tried to guess which part of his body was offside was it his kneecap was it his knuckle was it the hair on the back of his elbow we we don't really know, but Wolves had to make change uh, ch- changes. Sorry, after that Manchester City performance and Nuno Santos side, they, they don't have the squad to go and beat Man City and then put up a big fight against someone like Liverpool, do they? No, probably not. And I think they've, they have done well, Wolves, especially since the, the start. They had the beginning of the season. We were talking about how he, amazingly it seems now, but he was under pressure. Wasn't he Nuno, a lot of the yeah. fans were actually saying. Is he, you know, is he up to the job long term? Maybe he isn't, and I think they weren't helped with uh, obviously Europa League games they had as well. But they had that a, a big result against City. We know what they've got in terms of when they've got the strongest eleven. He's had to dip into his squad a little bit, but they were very unlucky. Wolves, you know, let's not take anything away from them. This wasn't, you know, a case of Liverpool just dominating them, as you mentioned there, the VAR decisions, which do seem to be going Liverpool's way. But it's always, to be fair, if I'm going to sort of take my United hat off for a minute. When you're winning games, when you're dominating a league, and I've seen it with United before, no doubt Alex said it with City, decisions tend to go your way. They do. Not to the extent, I think, always that we've seen sometimes. <laughs> Obviously not VAR decisions, but when, when it was United, it used to be penalty decisions. Jay's still got his hat in his hand. He's taken off his head, but yeah. he's still got it in his hand. <laughs> but I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> your vest and your flag. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying my hardest to be objective here. It's just really difficult. He's got um, his United string vest on underneath. Yeah, but... You know, you do tend to get those decisions because you're the attacking team more yep. often than not, because you've got more of the ball, because you're sort of make, trying to make things happen. <laughs> Whatever it is, you're just dominating. 
Liverpool getting the rub of the green in that sense, but they are the best team, as Alex said. That's the, the, obviously the best team in the league. My big concern with them is are they going to win the lot? And I don't mean the, the treble they're going on about, the continental treble, whatever nonsense it is they're saying. I mean the actual treble, the real one, the United one. <laughs> um, obviously, as I said. As I said <laughs> oh, I don't know if you, you can hear smugness. <laughs> well, I'm just, just talking, you know, to quote Rafa Benitez. These are facts. Ah, uh, listen, listen. He, he's swapped his United hat for a Liverpool hat that he's just bought. There's just been That's a Liverpool. That's the worst hat. bit of objective. I'm not going to put my United hat on ever. So, yeah, apologies for lying. Uh, obviously, we've touched on some of the big stories from the weekend, but there's still plenty of other Premier League action around the grounds. Uh, Brighton winning 2 0 at home to Bournemouth. Now, as much as we've, we've spoken about sides that have won. Uh, one games in the podcast. I'm going to talk about a side that lost, Ty. Bournemouth, things are looking a, a bit ropey for them as we as we go into the new year. Looking at the numbers here, they've won just one in their last nine Premier League games and that was the one against Chelsea. I think, with all due respect to Bournemouth, I think we could say that was a bit of a, a once in a blue moon result. Uh, results against teams around them have been, have been pretty poor. They've lost to Palace, they've lost to Burnley, they've lost obviously to Brighton, Drew with Arsenal. I think we can throw them in Bournemouth at the minute. Um, should we be worried about Bournemouth going into the new year? I think they could get dragged into it easily. I mean, I think, to be fair to them, they've had terrible, terrible injuries. They've had a lot of, you know, a lot of bad luck in that regard. But it it kind of feels like, I don't know, it feels a bit to me like we've had enough of Bournemouth in the Premier League, I think. I mean, I wouldn't be too bothered if they went down. I just think, I don't really see where, I don't see where they're going and, I mean, Eddie Howe gets a lot of praise, but he spent a lot of money and I don't I don't particularly see them improving. And he spends all this money and then by December, it's Steve Francis and Simon Cook in defence and going back to those, or Simon Francis and Steve Cook. That's that's a brilliant thing. I always think with Bournemouth that they've just got a load of names of fellas you used to work with. They've basically just got, <laughs> they've got a load of fellas who've got yeah. first names for surnames and surnames for first names. You read their, you read their, their team shit and you're like, this could just be a rotor. This could be a rotor in world. <laughs> I mean, How is this a Premier League the, football the, team? They all sound like plumbers you get recommended down the pub. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if, Simon Francis. Oh yeah, be all right. And yeah. in fairness, I think if Simon Francis, I think if Simon Francis knocked on and said, "I'm here to fix the sink," you'd probably go. And you come, mate. Do you want to yeah, yeah, yeah. This sounds reasonable. Um, no. But yeah, I mean, we just seem to, seem to keep having these conversations about Bournemouth that they'll be okay, they'll be okay, and ultimately, sometimes that that kind of complacency can be what what trips you up. But moving on, uh, Everton. Two wins under Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, Everton fans are absolutely delighted at St James's Park, singing all the way down the five million stairs at the away end at St James's Park last night. Now, I want to ask Alex about something here because Alex has got an absolutely fascinating theory about uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin. Ancelotti, full of praise for Calvert Lewin after the game, said that he can go on and reach the heights of European football. There's no limits to what Dominic Calvert Lewin can achieve. And Alex has pretty much <laughs> subscribed to Angelotti's theory and said that, bring it on. Uh, Calvert-Lewin for the Ballon d'Or. You, you, well, you, whoa, 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 don't put that in my mouth. You preface that with, Alex has got a fascinating theory on Calvert-Lewin. I'm going to go like, I think he's a robot. <laughs> no, um, I, think, I think he's a plumber. I think he's a good player. I think he's, uh, I wouldn't trust Dominic Calvert-Lewin with my plumbing. If someone went, I've got a plumber for you, he's called Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I'm like, that's not a plumber, that's a Tory backbench MP. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Dominic Calvert-Lewin is like, like push, Surrey yeah. East or whatever. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't know, like, a wrench. <laughs> but I th- I, no, I don't think... I just like he said that he thinks he can reach the, uh, the top end of football. I think depending on what you're... Uh, definition of that is why not I think he plays for an unfashionable club at the minute I think there's loads of Everton players that if they played for a London club would have a handful of England caps I think um, 
I, I think Tom, Tom Davis gets on with his job really, really, really well at, at Everton. I think um, Calvert-Lewin is one of those. He scored, um, I think, eight goals in 18. That's correct, yeah, eight season, goals in, in, in which, 18 which, games. Which is, is good. It's, it's almost one in two, I think, in the Premier it's League. It's better than he's ever done in a full season before. Yeah, but I think for a 22-year-old, I think early in his career was getting shunted out wide and was spent a lot of time coming off the bench and playing 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there. I think for his first full season, he's doing really, really well. And I, and I wish him all the best. I don't see why <laughs> he can't... He seems like a nice lad. Well, it's okay. all right. Okay, let me, let, me ask you a di- let me ask you a direct question. I don't want to upset you because I know you're good friends with him. Yeah, yeah, he comes around. Uh, Dominic, not to fix the sink. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, what can he finish the season on goal-wise? Give me a number. Give me, uh, right, okay, let, oh, okay he's, got, he's got 18-18 now. We've got half of the season to go. Is it unrealistic to say he'll get 20? Uh, no, I think, I think he plays another he's, well, eight and eighteen. He plays another fifteen games. He gets a hat trick somewhere. Everton, you would expect. But in mind, I think that's more impressive that Everton have been. I'm going to say it. Like you're going to go for it. They've been dog mess, mate. I was I was going to say I was going to say naughty word, but I, I wouldn't have it. I would, <laughs> would would you go with? Do you think he can get twenty in the league between now and the end oh, of the season? I mean, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, like. Uh, Theoretically, under Ancelotti, I know it's honeymoon period, but you would expect the quality of football to improve, results to improve. If they start actually performing at home, then he's, it, it opens up for him. He, he gets all sorts of goals. He's had a few scruffy ones, he's had a few impressive ones. Um, I don't understand why we... And I think this is as, um, as much about Everton being an unfashionable club. If an English player, a 22-year-old Englishman, had scored eight goals for Liverpool, who at the minute are a much more fashionable team, I think that player would be starting for England. Uh, well, we would be on the... On the on the plane, Freeland. Potentially, potentially. But I think you score eight goals for Everton, and a manager comes out and goes, "This like gone to great things." We all go, "Well, surely that can't be the case." And I, I think I think that, that, that there's a little bit of a stigma around Everton. I think because of the, the the fact that they are the most pessimistic fan base in the league doesn't do any favours. Whereas, say for example, Liverpool are optimistic and they talk up their own players. I think he's a 22 year old Englishman who scored eight Premier League goals in his first full season. I think that's something to celebrate. Am I wrong? Well, I'm gonna, well, we're going to move on to another English striker that's banging goals in at the minute. And, and I've got a feeling you're going to be a fan of him, but I'm going to swing to Jay on this one. Danny Ings, uh, another goal for him yesterday as they drew at home to Crystal Palace. That's 12 for him uh, in the Premier League so far this season. Looking at the numbers that he's got, and I know obviously we, you know the age-old argument of numbers versus what you see. When you look at the teams that are in the bottom half of the table at the moment, is Danny Ings the best striker outside the top six? Or is he the best striker in the bottom half of the table? There's definitely an argument there. Look at the numbers, yeah. Is it what what's Danny Ings got? 12? 12 at 12 so 12 far. And, 12. and the thing with Danny Ings is he's done this before, hasn't he? With Burnley a few years yeah, ago, did, where they were struggling, they were right at the bottom, but he was quite a reliable goal scorer. Um, I think he, you know, he got double figures for them, which for, for for Burnley at that time was quite impressive. He also had that horrific injury when he went to to Liverpool. Has bounced back from that. So we've said we've said on this on this program before on this show before that. A lot of the time, the problems that the lower clubs have is they haven't got a goal scorer. They haven't got anyone they can turn to. You know, we were mentioning Norwich before, and if Pookie doesn't bang them in, the, the, they're struggling for goals. And you could you could say the same about several other teams there. But Danny Ings is scoring goals, and he has got that in him. And he is a player that maybe should be in that conversation, as, as Alex was saying about you know unfashionable teams and players that are doing well. And if they were doing those sorts of numbers, you know, if, if Danny Ings was scoring those goals for Liverpool, if he had twelve and twenty for Liverpool. Of course he'd be in the England team. Yeah. Absolutely. Nailed only be in the England team, or in the squad at least. So why not if he's doing it at a team that are struggling and he's probably getting f- much fewer chances than he get at Liverpool. So he's playing well and I think he could be a big reason that I think Southampton get themselves out of trouble and stay up. I think that's a really interesting question though. Best best centre forward outside the top top six. Is he better than Timmy Pucky? 
Yeah, yeah. Norwich. I'd say so. I'd, yeah. I'd say the, the ones that I'd throw into the argument with him at the moment, outside the top six, probably go for Jimenez, a Wolves, a Wolves six. Yeah, Jimenez so is Wolves, the Wolves are seven. So okay. I'd say it'd be between him, Jimenez, well, about. Aubameyang at the moment well, wow yeah, yeah. terrifying thought yeah. your mate Calvert-Lewin as well obviously um, but I think he is in terms of the sides that when we look at the table at the end of the season and where we anticipate Southampton to be I, I think he's there and, and he deserves the praise that he's getting but I almost think the praise that he doesn't get helps him to keep maintain that form because he's allowed to continue doing his job as an experienced Premier League striker a little bit under the radar He's, he's having a hot spell at the moment, isn't he? I mean, a lot of these goals, or all these goals have come basically since the end of September. He is in, he is having a hot spell, which he's not really had so far for Southampton. But you know, I saw him quite a bit at Burnley and he was, he was a very intelligent striker. I thought he'd do a lot better going to Liverpool and obviously his time there was wrecked by injuries. But he's a really intelligent striker and in he knows how to, to play that role. He's brilliant at creating space for others. His partnership with Sam Vokes at, at Burnley was brilliant and, and he brought the best out of Vokes by taking defenders away from him. He's showing now at Southampton he's a goal scorer. His goals will probably be enough to, to keep Southampton up. Is he the best striker outside the top six? I, I mean, I would go with him and as personally. I think well, I mean, Wilfred Zahar was not mentioned as well, I think, as well. I mean, it's really interesting that he went to Liverpool in the first place. I had a campaign amongst Manchester City fans which for us to sign Charlie Austin uh, because Charlie Austin scored goals everywhere he went um, there was a season where Southampton finished 17th um, a couple of years ago and everyone was talking about how you know it was disastrous at Southampton Charlie Austin was injured for all, all of that season yeah. and I thought that was the difference yeah. they actually finished um, something like nine points off of, of European football and yet if they had Austin the, the evidence is there when Austin plays the conversation could be his, different his team get results I, I, I thought it seemed nuts to me that, that, that Charlie Austin was sitting there an absolute goal machine and the top six hadn't picked him up and it's quite nice to see that Danny Ings is getting that recognition yeah. who is a similar sort of record now for Southampton well Charlie Austin brings us on brilliantly to Troy Deeney that's a sentence I never thought I'd say well probably probably is a fairly likely sentence to say Troy Deeney back in the Watford team three goals in the four games since Nigel Pearson's come in obviously Alex has just mentioned there having that striker in your team and a striker on form and a striker with the mentality that Deeney has of dragging teams along Escaping relegation is all about momentum. And for me, this game at the weekend, Watford beating Aston Villa 3-0. I know there's a few VAR shouts thrown in, but this is indicative of where they are. Watford are scrapping and going up and Aston Villa are running out of answers. They, they've got quite an inflated squad. They've got a lot of creative attacking players, but they seem to be struggling at the back. Do you think this, this result yesterday shows where both of them are going potentially for the rest of the season? I do, personally. Mm. I think it's a massive boost for Watford to get the new manager in, Nigel Pearson, who's got experience of, of getting teams out of trouble. And I'm going to have to say it, aren't I? He had that wonderful run under Leicester where they won seven out of the last eight or whatever it was and, and kept them up when it, it looked like they were doomed. But getting Troy Deeney back at the roughly the same time, it, it can only mean good things for Watford because... Troy Deeney gets your goals. His yep. goal scoring record at Watford is pretty, is decent. It's yep. not amazing, but it's good. Um, but more than that, sufficient for where they are in the table. Sufficient for that. More than that, he's like their talisman. Isn't he? He's the one that sort of gets everyone going. He's the one they all look to. Going back to the result they got against United recently, he, he was a, an absolute nightmare for mm. us. He was just, up, you know, he was all over the place and he was sort of roughing up the defenders and, and in the referees' ear. But he did the job that you'd want him to do if you're a Watford fan. And and he's always a sort of player that even though he's not as good as some of the other strikers you'll see in the Premier League, you don't look forward to playing against him as a fan, as a rival fan. You don't think, oh, it's only Troy Deeney. You think, oh, you can have a tough afternoon. And I think when they've got someone like Troy Deeney and they've got Nigel Pearson there as well, who's come in, and they've still got a little bit of quality there as well, Watford, don't forget, they're 
established Premier League team, the likes of Delefeu, for example, who's, who's got a little bit of quality. So you'd think that there's enough there, if you add all those elements together, for them to get themselves out of trouble. Villa, it's not been great for a little while now, has it? You know, we've had it's having this the same conversation. It seems every time I'm on here, we're talking about how they've they flattered to deceive a little bit. How Wesley is, his goals have dried up. He's not been scoring at all, really, has he? The the players that they're relying on. We were talking off air before about Jack Grealish, great player on his day. Is he enough? Is he enough to keep them up? Is he enough of a player that because they're so reliant on him? And yes, he's he's good to watch and he's great on the ball and he can create things, but he doesn't necessarily win you enough games to keep you in the Premier League on his own anyway I think if you put him alongside some other good players then yeah but I don't know if they've got enough quality and it's it's a bit surprising because they have spent haven't they Villa yeah. unlike the other teams that are, are struggling Villa went out in the summer they spent they sort of set the stall out spent a lot of money brought in some big names and everyone myself included thought out of the teams that have come up they're probably the ones not everyone because some of you are sorry predicted Sheffield United in the top five um, I that also they, manages to get into every yes it does <laughs> we'd almost got for a show about mentioning it um, I thought they would be the team that would do well or would yeah. survive quite comfortably yeah. and it's not happening and I don't know what the answer is. I think, know, I think I think it's almost the do curse they, do of they, the money. Do they change the manager? Yeah. Is that the answer? But I think it's a bit like the Fulham situation last season. That money has now become a stick to those signings have become a bit of a stick to beat them with. And I think where they are when you look at the players and the, the lack of experience they've got in the, that team, they, they seem to be heading in one direction. But there's a hell of a lot of games still to go. Uh, last game this weekend that has been played uh, whilst we're recording the show is West Ham losing at home to Leicester. Now, we all know the news that Manuel Pellegrini has since been shown the door at the London Stadium. Jim, our resident West Ham fan, West Ham sympathiser, is going to be covering that in a bit more detail in tomorrow's show and talking about the one candidate that's probably going to replace Pellegrini. Um, just very quickly, Tyrone, two wins in the last 13 Premier League games. Was this inevitable? Was this was this just a matter of time, really? Yeah. It feels like it's been on the cards for a while, really, doesn't it? And I mean, I think it's a bit. I mean, West Ham should probably never really have got rid of Moyes. He, he actually had a really good spell there. Was it eighteen months ago now? Yeah. Um, and the fact they're going back to him is perhaps an admission of that mistake. David Moyes is not a sexy name. He is called David Moyes. He's got very plumber. even name. I always think he has got a very even. Who's the name. sexiest name manager in the league, by the way? Just out of interest. What were in sexy manager names? Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo. Oh, yeah, if it's yeah. got spirit in it. Rolls yeah. off your tongue. Yeah. Yeah. Rolls off it your tongue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think All right, that's that covered. <laughs> <laughs> Back to <laughs> you in the studio. <laughs> uh, Leicester. You really well, like, straight away. That was like the answer, wasn't it? Cool. Leicester, He's always uh, in my mind. Leicester have, well, I think that makes four of us. Uh, Leicester, have, Leicester have had a difficult no, no. couple yes, of weeks. Yes. Um, <laughs> losing against Manchester City, losing against <laughs> Liverpool, but they responded against West Ham. Uh, Brendan Rodgers said he'd make changes. He did. Jamie Vardy was rest. Uh, a couple of other big names arrested and the two players that came in Kalichi and Acho who Alex will know well and, and have very close to his heart and Damari Gray came in and scored and, mm. and they were far too much for West Ham so I think the big question for Leicester is we've seen with the result against Man City and the result against Liverpool that they're not going to win the league and I think that was a bit of a yardstick for, for where they are you know they saw, you saw the body language after the Liverpool game but they deserve a, a fair bit of credit for the way they reacted against albeit a struggling West Ham Given the players they've got to come in and the fact that the likes of Gray and Ian Acho, Dennis Pratt and maybe even Wes Morgan, Christian Fuchs at fullback, they're going to have to play some Premier League football at some stage this season, you would assume. Do Leicester have the squad in terms of the, the 11 to 18 or the 11 to 20 to keep themselves in the Champions League spots? Um, I think they do, but I think it's all about mentality at Leicester and I think it's all about as someone who, who lives in the city and, and experiences it and... Um, uh, I run a pub and it's full of Leicester City fans and the the, the attitude shift 
sort of around the ground, around the city. I think for Leicester to succeed still, they need to be underdogs. And that's how that dressing room works. And that's the mentality that Brendan Rodgers has kind of culminated. I think any dressing room with Vardy in it will always perform better than the underdogs. Now the title race is gone, they are sort of like top of the league, if that makes any sense. The top of everybody else. And I think they're going into games as the favourites. Um, playing away from home is, is one thing. But I think weirdly their home matches now are going to be really tough because teams are going to go to Leicester and hope for a point and they're going to they're going to set up to defend. And it's a real test of the metal. And I think there's, there's going to be a lot of disappointed players that because of the magic of the club, of what happened in 2016, I think the players that weren't there in 2016 will be getting excited thinking, this is going to happen, we're going to do this. And now it's confirmed that, I never say never, etc., etc. it's definitely not going to happen. That There's almost like, what are they playing for? And I think they've forgotten the Champions League feels kind of like a consolation prize for Leicester. Well, actually, it's like, like Leicester in the Champions League. People people thought they were going to finish maybe seventh or eighth this yeah. year and have a good season. Leicester City are second in the league, and they look miles better than Man City at the minute. And they could they could way easily finish second. And it, I would love to see it. I think it'd be great for the league. It'd be great for the sport. If they go out, maybe get one or two players in January just to boost the squad a little bit. Someone like Calvert Lewin, for example, would be a great <laughs> buy for Leicester. I think. I think personally, someone like Wilfried Zaha would be a great buy for Leicester. There are players out there that could boost their squad, give them a little bit of, uh, of depth. Um, and it, here's the thing: I, I think you look at the one to eleven that Leicester start. I think every single one of those players looks like Champions League footballers at the minute. I think Yuri Tielemont. I th- would get into a top four side in this country I'd love to see him at City I think uh, players like James Madison I think looks like a top four player there's, there's a real case to be starting for England at a World Cup um, Jamie Vardy the, he's top goal scorer in the league I think there's players that the younger players Ben Chilwell I think I could think I would. Have, I, I think he would start at Man City Ben Chilwell um, Kasper Schmeichel it's always tough to compare a goalkeeper but there are players there and the players that are coming in and out of the squad Iosi Perez Dennis Pratt um, they're good footballers and that they are capable of winning a football match in the Premier League So that's probably how Leicester City are going to start or end, end 2019 and start 2020 Before we wrap up a uh, little bit of a sad note this is actually the last uh, Football Social Daily Premier League review show of 2019 I'm sure you're all absolutely devastated about that I am no, yeah, no, not even. I wasn't even of twenty nineteen. I genuinely thought we were going to go ever. Not even. It's like two days before yeah. the end of the year. So. Not even. Not even a flicker of emotion from any of you. So, but in in the in that horrible um, New Year's tradition where someone that you don't know or like, i.e., me, asks you, "Got any New Year's resolutions?" I'm not going to ask you about yourselves because you know I'm not interested. Uh, I'm going to ask you about your teams now. Ty, I'm going to start with you now. Ty's a loyal Shrewsbury Town fan and until we start delving down into the Football League we, we don't cover Shrewsbury as it is so you get a little bit of an outball here so New Year's resolution what do you think New Year's resolution for the Premier League should be in 2020? I mean it'd be just nice to not talk about VAR as much wouldn't it? Yeah? Would you, would you, would you, would you think the resolution should be less talk or no talk or get rid of it? I'd, well I'd, I think the Premier League could use it better and I think the offside rule needs to change um, but I just think we're talking about it unnecessarily. I mean, we're talking about these offsides a lot, and yes, it, it is incredibly frustrating and it looks incredibly pernickety. But at the end of the day, they're offside. You know, it, it, to be judged offside for your big Toby and offside is a little bit ludicrous. But when you bring in a system that makes it definitive, yes or no, they're offside. That's yeah. the rule. It, End it, of. It's football's Brexit, isn't it? 
Like it was, it was yeah. an idea. It was divisive to start with, but people decided they were going to go for it. Whichever way you look at it, whether you're pro or con, we all agree it's been implemented dreadfully. And ultimately, everyone's sick of hearing after about three years. Yeah. I mean, the, the best way for me would be to change the offside rule. There needs to be an advantage to the attacker. Change it back to if any party is level, you're onside. At the moment, it's anti-goal because it's ruling out marginal offside that would never be spotted with a naked eye. That one uh, for Wolves today would never have been spotted with a naked eye. There was a few this weekend. Change it back. If any part of the attacker is level with the defender, he's onside. I think there'd be a lot less complaining about it, and I think it would... It would, it would move it. forward. It would even it up. But as the rule is at the moment, these ones that are being judged offside are frustrating, but they're right. Yeah, so. they, they are. I mean, it's easy to look at these and go, this is ridiculous, this is ridiculous. But I think by the, the absolute letter of the law, a lot of them are actually correct. They're just frustrating because it's, yeah. it's disrupting the flow of the game. Fellas, I'm, I'm terrified to ask you two what yours are. So very, very quickly, Jay, Manchester United... 2020 New Year's resolution, what should it be? Um, I think we just need to start, we've started it slightly, to start turning up against the so-called lesser teams. Because we seem to raise our game when we're playing against the Scousers or City or Leicester or Chelsea. And then when we go to the likes of West Ham and Newcastle, we're terrible. So, yeah, just, um, you know, treat every game with the respect it deserves. Fair enough. Uh, Alex, Manchester City, New Year's resolution? Be more positive. Have a good outlook. Start going to yoga. I don't know. Uh, um, I think just be a bit more. <laughs> be, I think I think the like, City fans are so down about this season. And I think it's because we're coming off the back of like 198 points in two years. We, we've been awesome. We, we, we were lucky to see what I think is the best Premier League team of all time at our own stadium. Um, and I think finishing... At the minute, the time we're talking, we're third in the league. Uh, I think that feels like it's not good enough. And that's a lovely, lovely, lovely problem to have. Um, I sort of welcome. We've been set free of the title race. I've made my piece that Liverpool were going to win the league. And I'd rather we enjoy the fact that now we have got, there are nine, uh, 18, 18, 18 games, to, games go. to go. That is 18 opportunities to start Phil Foden in the league. Uh, Eric Garcia, 18, got a start for Manchester City at, at the, tonight. Um, there's certain players like Tommy Doyle. I think it's a real opportunity for us to give as much time to the young players, give them Premier League minutes, Obviously, we still want to finish top four and you've got to keep an eye on results. But also, the missing piece of the puzzle is the Champions League. Let's be positive about that and, and, and let's give it give it Willie. Be a bit more positive. We, we are third in the league. There are 17 teams below us that would love to be in the position we're in. I don't think it's as bad. And we're still pretty good. We, we've, Listen, yeah, what, you know what? Still, I'm old enough to remember good. the likes of the Brightwell brothers, so you've got it pretty good, you say, fans at the minute, telling you. Brilliant stuff, right? I'm glad that we can end on a bit of a positive note. End the show and end 2019 for the Football Social Daily Premier League Review Show. Guys, it's been great having you. Local friendly comedian and Manchester City fan, Alex Hilton. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for coming. Cheers. Jay Marty from Full Time Devils. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. And Tyrone Marshall, Manchester United correspondent for the Manchester Evening News. Thank you. Pleasure. Brilliant stuff. As always, we are your daily source of Premier League news. Every day we have a Premier League podcast. You can access that via Acast, Atune, Spotify. Don't forget to hit like and hit subscribe. And if you don't want to listen to the other 19 teams in the Premier League, you can catch up on your team. Simply ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social and set it to your favourite team. And here from the Football Social Daily Premier League Review Show, we'll see you in 2020. 20. Football Social Daily Premier League Preview It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash Life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land You know what they say Your chance to win starts with a spin So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.